Okay, good morning, Gateway. It is great to see you on this rainy morning. If you want to come in and make your way to your seats, that would be great. We are so glad we get to gather together. I know we're all sleepy this morning after daylight savings time kicked in, but I'm thankful we still get the joy, the privilege of gathering together as God's people to study His Word together, to sing His praises, and just so thankful for the the privilege we have again to do this week after week. Just several quick announcements for you this morning. First of all, just a reminder to the youth parents. There was a youth parents meeting you should already know about this immediately following the worship service in the youth room when we get done today. So when the service is over, youth parents, if you'll head over there for a meeting with Pastor CJ. There's a few other announcements I want to mention to you. Hopefully you saw the email this week. If not, let us know. But you know we have a resource center out in the hallway outside the office, just out these double doors there, packed full of books to help you in different parts of your following Christ. Last week we talked about baptism. It was part of the text we were looking at in First Peter. And there's a resource that hopefully you saw in your email this week, but it's a book called Understanding Baptism. If you are wrestling with, I've not been baptized, I think I should be, this will help you. If you're walking, a parent, if you're walking with your kids as they're thinking, hey, I follow Christ, I want to be baptized, this will help you. Or if you just have a friend who's wrestling with, should I be baptized, this is a great book from Nine Marks Ministry. We ordered a ton of these, and there's no cost for you for these. If you would like this to help yourself or to help a friend or to help a child as they wrestle with baptism, it's in the resource center top shelf on the middle section. You'll see the stack in there. Please feel free to pick up one if that would serve you. I also want to mention for today, at 4.30 today, there's a prayer gathering right in here led by, led by Greg and Cecilia Teal. So I would encourage you to come and join a small group prayer time this afternoon right in here at 4.30. Now, for the 50s up in the room here, there is a special fellowship we call the Nifty 50s and Beyond. There's a fellowship coming up in just a few weeks on March 25th. Now, that's a Saturday this time. It'll be at 4 o'clock at the home of Bill and Martha Gibbons. So, Bill and Martha, wave your hand back here. There in the back, there's Bill and Martha. It'll be at their house at 4 o'clock. Bring a covered dish. And if you like to fish, bring a fishing pole. There will be fishing. But for those who are not fishing people, there is yard games and other activities. This is going to be a fun afternoon of fellowship together at the Gibbons house. Details are on the church website. You can go to gatewaybaptist.com to learn more. Now, we have a special opportunity coming up to serve at Capitol Heights Middle School. So, Missy's going to come tell us all about the opportunity to bless the teachers over a week coming up. Black Mind Andrew.
Thanks, Missy. Excited about that, and thanks for all you put together. So if you want to catch all those details, yeah. You can just go to the church website, gatewaybaptist.com, click on news and events, and everything she shared was out there, the full schedule, the theme, all the opportunities. So go take a look at that, and we'd love for you to be involved with that. Now, last thing I want to introduce some new members for. So Hadaway family, you guys come on up here. A lot of you know the Hadaways, but they've officially finished the membership process, and we're so excited to welcome you guys as well and tell you about them if you don't know them. This is, first of all, Angel and Dave, and Dale, sorry, they are high school sweethearts. I already messed up your name at the beginning, right? They're high school sweethearts and have their three daughters here, Ashlyn, Avery, and Amber. Now, Dale was retired from the Air Force. He retired back in 2019 and actually served as a pastor on a church staff for several years in Mississippi. Mississippi before they came here, and he stepped away from that now to be home with his family in this time with his wife and his girls. They enjoy being outside and time with family. He loves camping and fishing and kayaking and swimming, going to the beach, and he loves projects around the house, which is good because you seem to have a lot that keeps you busy with that. Angel's passion is women's discipleship, and she loves helping other women grow in their walk with Christ. She loves helping women get their homes in order. She loves decorating, and she also loves home projects. That's a good thing. You all have that same interest there. And then for their daughters, Ashlyn loves to read and learn piano. She loves helping around the house also. Avery loves art and horseback riding and learning piano. Piano And Amber enjoys their 12 chickens, three ducks, puppy, and turtle, along with playing with her sisters and doing piano as well. And so if you don't know the Hadaways, encourage you to get to know them, have them over for a meal, and, and get to know them. Sweet family, thankful God's brought you here. So welcome to you guys. And we have many more in the membership process. We'll be introducing in two weeks another new family who's completed it, who wasn't able to be here today. We have many in the membership class that's going on right now and look forward to you getting to know them. So if you see someone you don't know on Sundays, take the initiative and go reach out to them and get to know them and connect with them and get to know those who God has brought to be together here. Now as we prepare to sing to the Lord, can I ask you to stand? I want to read to us from Psalm 40 to focus our hearts on the Lord. Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. And heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Let's just rejoice in what the Lord has done for us, how he's put our feet on a rock, and let's sing a new song of praise to the Lord this morning. God of power, living word, the one who made the stars, who with your glory filled the earth, and does make beating hearts. He loved us when we fell away, poured mercy on our souls. To lose this iron hole You are a song from age to age A voice to unite, recount your praise Again and again Oh God of promises 
surface of the valley 
And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, and we're cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves. I will raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then shall you know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I would do it, declares the Lord. What great hope we have in the promises of God that his word does not go forth and turn dead bodies or turn dry bones into just dead bodies just as he's made our hearts spiritually alive in Christ one day he will take these failing bodies and raise them to live with him forever so let's worship him today with the life and the breath he's given us amen
lift us up all the earth and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will your glory and your majesty our Lord our God who has raised us again and given us spiritual life Lord what a beautiful picture of Ezekiel 37 you do the work in our lives 
You bring us spiritual life. You give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, this morning we have to admit that our hearts are often, they feel far from you. We are often blind and dull to your glory and majesty due to the corruption of sin in our hearts. Often, Lord, we are so distracted by the things of this world. Father, we cry out to you, help us this morning. Help us to see you. We are beggars of your grace and mercy. And we come before you pleading, do a work. May we see more of you. May we again this morning see the wonder of our salvation and the beauty and the majesty and the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, who bore our sins and our shame and took upon himself your wrath, the wrath we deserved, in order that we might boldly come before your throne of grace this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Teach us this morning to trust you. Teach us this morning to fear you. Teach us this morning so that we might love you. Lord, may we remember your wondrous works for you are God and there is no other. Father, this morning we bring our petition before you. Lord, I think of the ministries that are going on in this church and so grateful for the men and women who serve. This morning, we want to lift to you and ask the work that you are doing to continue that work in the Gateway Young Adult Ministry. Father, so grateful for Seth and Megan and Parker and Aaron and others who are helping in that ministry. Father, my my prayer, according to your word, is that they would grow in their understanding of you and your love that they would grow in sanctification and holiness and a hunger for you. To be anchored in Christ would be their great desire so that, Lord, these young adults, as they busy with life and the things that are going on and the distractions, God, that they would be reminded again and again who you are. They might run to you, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray this morning for other ministries in the area. I think of my friend and brother, Pastor Keith Waldrop, serving there at the table in his ministry. Lord, recently he has had surgery and it's been a struggle. I pray for full recovery and health. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless his ministry as, Lord, I know Keith has a heart to evangelize. And I pray, Lord, that through his ministry, many would come to know you as Lord and Savior. Pray for him as he's going to be traveling this summer to Mexico and to minister to brothers and sisters and there in Mexico. I pray that you would bless that ministry and encourage him. Father, we think of Pastor Mark in Haiti. Haven't heard from him in a while, but I pray, Lord, that the ministry that he is doing, that God, you would allow him to see much fruit in that ministry. Haiti is a desperate country. A country is desperate need for you. God, I pray for all the missionaries there. God, you would use them, that you would bring healing to that land, that you would bring revival to that land, that there would be a sense of who you are, God, 
please do a work there. Father, thank you for how you've blessed this church financially. Thank you for those who give faithfully. I pray those in this room, Lord, who maybe are struggling financially, that, Lord, that they would look to you and be encouraged. I do pray, Lord, that we would use the givings that have uh, been given by this church, that we would use them to further your kingdom. Lord, it's not our money. It's yours. Help us to be good stewards of it. Help us to use it in a way that honors and glorifies you. This morning as Grady comes to preach your word, I pray that your spirit would guide his words as he preaches from 1 Peter 4. Lord, I pray that we would be attentive. Give your people an understanding heart. Give us listening ears and seeing eyes. Convict where conviction is needed of sin. Encourage the weak and heal the brokenhearted. And may we worship you with joyful hearts as your word is proclaimed. And so, Lord, we commit this service, we commit all of it to you, asking you to do what only you can do through your spirit. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The fourth graders, you are dismissed to kids' worship. We've got Rick with you this morning. So first of fourth graders, if you'll head to kids' worship with Pastor Rick. Well, they're all on the move. If you want to find First Peter chapter 4, that is correct. We've made it to another chapter in our year-long journey through First Peter. If you look, if your Bible is laid out like mine, I can see the end of First Peter now which we should get to on July 2nd at our current expected pace. So we're, as we're going verse by verse. There's so much riches for us in First Peter. So we come to First Peter chapter 4 today. As we begin this new chapter, I want to remind us of why Peter wrote this letter to us, why God gave us this letter. So if you glance ahead back to a verse we looked at many times, chapter 5, verse 12, this is the purpose of this letter. Peter says, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, and here it is, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is a true grace of God. This, our identity in Christ as elect exiles. This, our hope in eternity and the future rewards. This, our call to a holy living. This, our submission to authorities. This, our embrace of suffering. This and everything else we have seen has been God's grace gift to us to help, as he says here, stand firm to be unmoved by the hardships of life, to be unmoved by opposition, to be unmoved by temptations that come our way. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Now, as we begin chapter 4, you're going to find many of those same themes that we've been seeing, this grace gift of God to help us stand firm in our faith. Now, as we begin chapter 4 today, I want to remind us when Peter wrote this, he did not put a big number 4 at this point in his letter. The chapters, the verses are additions much later to help us be able to Find things, but when Peter wrote, there's no break in his thought here. This is just continuing what he was just saying. As such, we're still in a section about suffering. We're still in a section about enduring hardships in life. And so we carry on. You'll see some of those same things related to what we have just seen. With that in view, there's a question from this text I want us to start with this morning. It's a question that I believe this text drives us to ask ourselves, and it's this, friends. What is more important to us, obeying God or avoiding hardships? What is most important to me and what is most important to you? Is it for us to obey God or is it to avoid hardships? Friends, over the years in my own life and the lives of others, one thing I see at times in my life and other people's lives is we have a timidity at times to do what is right. 
We're timid at times to do what we know God has called us to do. It may be to help that person in need. It may be to take steps to cut off access to some temptation that you're regularly falling to. It may be the need to cut off access to a relationship that is leading you astray. It may be the calling to lovingly speak to a friend about sin's struggles in his or her life. It may be the calling to go speak about Jesus to someone who does not believe. At times we are timid to do what God has called us to do. Now why are we timid at times to obey God? There's many possible reasons, but one of the big ones I I suspect is that we fear the hardships that can come from obedience. We fear the hardships that can come from obeying God. If we obey God and talk to that person about their sin, or we talk to the non-believer about Christ, they may get mad at us. They may misunderstand us. They may stop liking us. They may cut off the friendship. They may even leave the church. If we obey God and help a person in need, whether it's financially or overcoming strongholds or walking through trials... It may lead to an ongoing relationship. It may lead to taking a lot of our time and our money to help that person. And so often, I suspect, we fail to do what God calls us to do because we're afraid of the hardships that go with it. In other words, we're selfish and we care more about what we want than what is God's will for us. And friends, perhaps for many of us, avoiding hardships is not just something that's present in our life. It's actually an idol in our lives. It's something that we want more than anything else. We have this longing in our hearts for God to get us from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest, wealthiest, most comfortable way possible. And so what is most important to us is avoiding any hardships that would hinder that versus obeying God. That's where Peter takes us as we begin chapter 4 this morning. So as we look at these first two verses of chapter 4, we should be looking for as we read, what is God calling us to do regardless of the cost? And then to ask ourselves, is that what is most important to me? What is God calling us to do, and is that what is most important to me? Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 this morning. I'll be reading out the English Standard Version, and we'll have the words on the screen for you. Starting in verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your unchanging word. God, we have sung this morning of your greatness. We've sung of how you're unchanging. And God, we thank you this morning that you've revealed yourself to us. That when you gave this to to Peter, you're the same God now that you were then. Your will is the same. So thank you that we can see in writing before our eyes what your will is for us. And we ask, as already been prayed, for much grace for your Holy Spirit today to open our eyes to the truth of the word, to change us through your word, to convict us where we need conviction, to encourage us where we need encouraging. So we ask you to have your way in our midst, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, to understand 1 Peter chapter 4, I want you to get to visualize the flow of the text. You've heard me say before in the past, when I start studying on a Monday, one of the first things I do is I make a diagram of the text. And I can't tell you how many times when I diagram a text, it comes alive to me and it makes sense of things that perhaps were questions. So I want you to actually see this morning the diagram of 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. There you go. So this is, for those who like to see structural diagrams in English, this is to help you on this one. But I want you to see the flow of what Peter is telling us here. Because Peter begins, if you notice what we just read, with the example of Christ. That's the beginning. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Now what follows is the only command in these two verses. The rest of it are explanations, but the only command is in yellow at the top, arm yourselves. That's the only imperative in these two verses. What flows from that imperative is how we do that. And we'll impact that in just a little bit. But the key idea of this text, you see it in yellow, is we're to arm ourselves to live 
for the will of God. So I'm going to summarize these two verses in that one sentence. It would be, arm yourselves to live for the will of God. We're to walk through that, but as you so, I want to go this in reverse. This just helped me understand the text so much better this week. I want to start with the end, the goal, living for the will of God. Now let's kind of work backwards up to unpack how we get to that point. How do we have lives that live for the will of God? So let's start at the bottom there with living for the will of God. So look back at verse number two this morning. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Notice this begins with this phrase, so as. This is a purpose clause. This is a desired outcome in our lives, obeying the command that has been given to us. And we're told here that the desired outcome is us to live, to live a certain way. This is all of our lives. This is comprehensive. When you see in Scripture, we're to live that tackles our affections, our feelings, our thoughts, our words, our actions. Peter's saying that your life should be characterized by something. Not just occasionally, but this should be the ongoing pattern of your life. And he brings that out. He says, so as to live, notice this, for the rest of the time in the flesh. In other words, as long as you are on this earth, as long as you have a human body on this earth, this is how God wants you to live in your affections, your thoughts, your words, and your actions. Your life is to be characterized by something. It's to have a priority what is the priority of our lives? We're to live the rest of the time in our flesh. Notice that last phrase, for the will of God. In other words, all parts of our lives should be conformed to God's will. God's plan for us is for all parts of our lives, our feelings, our thoughts, our words, our actions, to be more and more conformed to the will of God. Now that raises the question for us, what is God's will? Well, quite simply, friends, it's His perfect plan for everything. And here is His perfect plan for you and for me. All of our life is to reflect God's plans for us. Now, what are those plans for us? And that's what Peter's been telling us. First Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, verse 16. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you want a summary of God's will for you and for me, it's that is to be more and more holy. Friends, that's very different than what many of us desire for our lives, isn't it? That God's ultimate plan for you and me is He wants us to be holy. He wants us to more and more reflect the character of Christ. He wants us to be Christ-like. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 tells us that as well. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, notice this, to be conformed to the image of His Son. That is God's will for you in Christ. That's God's will for me in Christ. That our feelings, our thoughts, our words and actions would all be conformed to look more and more like Christ. His will is for us to reflect his holy character. But the reality is, friends, we're prone not to do that. We're prone not to focus on that. And so Peter tells us back in verse 2 this morning to live like that, to put that on, we have to put off something. So he says, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. No longer are we to live how we used to live. What we previously did before we met Christ should be going away. There should be something different now because we have experienced Christ. And what were we like before Christ? Well, Romans 6.17 tells us. Romans 6.17, we're told, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. That before we met Christ, we were slaves to sin. We were bound to follow our passions, our lust, our desires. We could not help it. But God's will is for us to no longer be that way. If you think, well, we've seen that before we have. Peter repeats this idea over and over and over. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, he tells us that. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former 
ignorance. If you go to chapter 2, verse 11, I'm actually going to go back and read verse 10 also. Once you were not a people, now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So he's telling us to be different than how we used to be. And then chapter 3, verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And now we come to verse 2. Live the rest of the time in your flesh no longer for human passions. Over and over throughout this letter, in every chapter, Peter is telling us, your life should be different because you know Christ. Friends, God did not save you just so you can get out of hell and keep living the way you want to live. He saved you to give you new life. He saved you to transform you and break you free from those old ways that characterized your life. And by His grace in Christ, you can put off those sinful things, the passions of the flesh. You can put on holiness and pursuing His will. So God's will for your life, God's plan for your life, verse 2, live the rest of your time in your flesh, the rest of your life, no longer for human passions, but instead you're to live for the will of God. Now there's a little caveat with that. There's no asterisk here that says, unless it gets hard. There's no asterisk here that says, you have to do this until it causes suffering or opposition or difficulty. We are to do this regardless of the cost. Now, how do we do this, whether it's easy or hard, in every moment, consistently throughout our life? Well, that's where we go back to verse 1. Remember, there's only one command in this verse, and that's in verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, here it is, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. If we want to live according to God's will by putting off our old ways and putting on Christ's likeness, it will require us to arm ourselves. Now, what does that mean? If you're thinking arming yourself sounds like a military term, it is. That's what Peter chooses here. This is the term that's used for a soldier getting their weapons ready to go fight in a war. Now, this is an interesting image that Peter gives to us here. To live out God's will, we are told to arm ourselves, to get our weapons ready. Now, why does a soldier get his weapons ready or her weapons ready? Because he or she is ready to go fight a battle. And this is a sobering picture of the reality of our lives. We are in a battle, friends. A battle every day either to live out our selfish desires or to live for the glory of God. Every day, whether or not you and I want to be it, we are in a battle of whether or not we're going to follow our desires or follow Christ. There is an enemy who really opposes us to try to get us lost in our selfishness. There is a world around us that's constantly bombarding us with messages of live for yourself, follow your dreams, do what you want to do. But worse than all that is we have fleshly desires that battle against us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he has already told us that. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from, here is the same word, the passions of the flesh, notice this, which wage war against your soul. Friends, there is a battle inside you and me every day to try to keep us from following God's will. And so we have to fight those passions within us. And so Peter tells us here, back in verse 1, to arm yourself, prepare for battle against your fleshly desires in order to live for the Lord. Now, how do you arm yourself? Now, if you're a soldier going into battle, you have your weapons ready. But what is our weapon here that Peter's calling us to use? Look at verse 1. He says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. We arm ourselves by thinking a certain way. Now, if you've been around Gateway, this will not be new to you, but I think you know the answer. When we talk about holiness, the battle is won or lost where? Where? In the what? In the mind. Yes, the battle for holiness is won or lost in our mind. Now, that's exactly what Peter is showing us here. We're to arm ourselves, we're to prepare for battle by a certain way of thinking. Now, when he talks about thinking here, this means more than passing thoughts. 
This means what you're dwelling on, what you're focusing on as you go through the day. This is not about, oh, I had a passing reflection on Sunday morning. This is about what you're focusing on and dwelling on day after day, all week long. And so what is it that we're to be focusing on? If we want to be armed for this battle to live God's will instead of for our passions, what are we to be thinking about? Well, he tells us in verse 1, but he tells us by showing us who we should be thinking similar to. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. With the same way of thinking as Christ. He's saying you arm yourself by thinking like Christ. As we know God, more and more our thoughts should be reflected into what Christ's thoughts already were. So go back to our diagram. Can we stick that one back up on the screen one more time? You think about the flow of this text here. We're to arm ourselves. We're to prepare for battle so that we can live for the will of God. And we do that with the same way of thinking. We do that by thinking like Christ. If we want to live the will of God, then we have to think like Christ. Now, what are we specifically to think about like Christ? Go back to verse 1, and he tells us here, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Friends, notice what Peter's saying here. This is not comfortable. It's not what I want him to say here. He's saying if you want to live God's will, you need to think about suffering the same way that Jesus did. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking the way Christ thought about suffering in the flesh and the human body. Friends, God is commanding us, if we want to obey him and follow his will, we have to think deeply, regularly about suffering in the same way that Christ thought about it. So I was reading this week one of my favorite authors on First Peter in the commentaries. He said this. He said, Today in the West, at least, it is the church that suffers from naivety of mind. He said we're naive as Christians. It's difficult for Christians here to understand and embrace God's intentions and in suffering. I just pause right there, friends. Is that true for you? I know it's true for me so often. It's hard for us sometimes to understand and embrace God's plan for suffering. We're so naive when it comes to that. He goes on to say this, and it's so convicting. He says, We prefer a gospel in which God gives us healthy bodies and bulging wallets. And we are too readily thinking that material blessing is the reward of the gospel. To put it bluntly, the Western church expects from Jesus comfort, ease, and acceptance from the world. And friends, if we're not careful, so often we will begin to think that the gospel is about us having comfort, ease, acceptance for the world, bulging wallets, and healthy bodies, as if somehow that is God's plan for us. And it's all too easy for us to neglect to think about what we're called to think about here. I love Paul Tripp's honesty. Paul Tripp says, I don't know about you, but I don't like to suffer. I don't like discomfort of any kind. I don't even like to wait in traffic. I don't like people disagreeing with me. I don't like physical pain. And friends, none of us do. And so we are prone to not think about suffering at all, much less think about the way Christ thought about it. And so we end up not ready to live out God's will in this life. But God calls us to think about it so that we can arm ourselves to live for God. But notice we're to think about it. Go back to verse 1. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. So friends, how did Jesus... Think about suffering. If we want to think about suffering the way Jesus thought about suffering, how did he think about it? Well, Peter's already told us, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 23. Notice Jesus' perspective on suffering. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now, verse 22. When he suffered, notice what he did. He committed no sin. So if we want to understand Christ's perspective on suffering, there was no simple response to the injustices done to him, the hardships done to him, the suffering that came to him. He committed no sin, neither was deceit 
found in his mouth. Verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. How could he do all that? He continued entrusting himself to him, to the Father who judges justly. So what was Jesus' perspective on suffering? He did not run from it. He embraced it because he trusted the goodness of God the Father. He trusted the sovereign plans of God the Father. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 gives us another glimpse into how Jesus viewed suffering. We're told to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Notice that. The joy that was before him, he endured the cross. He didn't resist the suffering. He didn't run away from the suffering. He embraced it with joy, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I want to clarify here for us, friends. The cross, the beatings, the thorns on his head, his death, those were not joyful things themselves. We misunderstand this if we think this is a call to just be happy in our sufferings. That's not what this is about. Sufferings are painful, and it is really good for us to lament them. There's an entire genre of the Psalms where the authors of the Psalms lament their sufferings, lament the hardships of life, lament the pain. This is not a call of, this is not the Lego movie where we just go, everything is awesome and we sing happy thoughts and we're going to be okay in our pain. That's not what this is talking about with joy. It is okay to grieve the sorrows, to grieve the brokenness, to grieve the hardships, and to lament those. That also means that it's good for us to talk to God about those sorrows and lament them before God. And even it's okay for us to ask God to remove them. Think about Christ in the garden. Luke chapter 22, verses 42 to 44. Jesus, right before his, as he's going through the sufferings, the passions of Christ, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Christ went to the Father and said, could you take this from me? But notice, then he submits himself to the will of the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Friends, it's okay for you and your sufferings and your hardship to go to God and say, God, I would love for you to take it away. Saying to find joy in sufferings is not a call to say, hey, I'm just going to throw up my hands. There's nothing I can do. We can talk to God about it like Christ did. And he appeared to him, an angel from heaven strengthened him. And now verse 44. Look at what he said. I think we have one more there. And behold, in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Friends, if we want to think like Christ on suffering, that does not mean we're just happy and joyous about the suffering. It does not mean we cannot ask God to remove it, but we do what Christ did. We lament it, we talk to God about it, but we trust ourselves into God's hands for whatever he chooses to give us because we know it is good and right. And we find joy... Not in the pain, we find joy in the outcome of the pain, what God is going to do through that, and so we trust him. Go back to verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. That we are to look at the hardships, the trials, the sufferings of life with the same perspective of Christ. Lamenting them, grieving them, but ultimately trusting God in them, knowing he will bring good out of them. For that is so not natural for us. So how do we arm ourselves to think this way? Remember, this is not what we're naturally going to do. So how do we arm ourselves every day to have this perspective? As we run to Scripture, it's the only thing that's going to shape our minds to be like this. God has given us his word to shape our perspective. Because if we are not reading Scripture, thinking about Scripture, we should not be surprised when all of a sudden we think the Christian life is about God giving us the American dream. That's what everything else bombards us. This is what God has given us to shape our thinking so that we can think about sufferings and everything else the way that Christ would do that. So what Peter's telling us here is arm yourselves to live for the will of God. And you're going to arm yourselves to live for the will of God by going to the scriptures so that you begin to think about sufferings the way Christ thinks about sufferings. Now that raises an important question for us this morning. Why is it necessary to think about sufferings 
if we want to follow God's will. And if you think of the flow of thought here, we're to arm ourselves to live for the will of God, but to arm ourselves to live for the will of God requires us to think about sufferings. Why? Quite simply, friends, because obeying God can be very costly. Obeying God can be very costly. And it's not what we want to think about, but it's the truth we see from Scripture. It's the truth we see from church history. Choosing to do what is right, choosing to do God's will, will be costly at times. It will lead to sufferings and hardships and persecution. Believers all over the world today have relationships that have been broken simply because they love Jesus. There are people all over the world who've been mocked today because they love Jesus. And all over the world today, there's people who've been arrested and even murdered today because they love Jesus. Following God's will is not necessarily safe in the way we think about safe, but it's always good. Friends, in a world that hates God, our following him will lead to hardships. We should not be surprised by that. Again, that's not a new thing for us. We've seen it all throughout Peter's letter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 is one place we've seen that. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers. A few verses later in verse 19, in 1 Peter 2, 19, we're told something similar. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Verse 20, what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. The very next verse, verse 21, For to this you have been called. Now, this is not the calling we like, but this is what we've been told. This is what you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps, in his steps in suffering. We saw this in chapter 3, verse 14. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Chapter 3, verse 17, It is better to suffer for doing good, if it should be God's will, than for doing evil. And now we come to verse 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. See a pattern here? See a redundancy here? This is so not natural for us that God in His grace puts it before us in verse after verse after verse in this letter for us. God's good will for us is not an easy path. It is a good path, though, friends. God's plan for us is good, but it can be costly. And friends, that, the reality for us is when we see the cost, sometimes we're quick to want to sin and bail. It's so much easier in difficult times to want to lie or deceive than to speak the truth, knowing what the cost of that might be. It's so much easier in times of difficulty to be bitter and angry than to forgive. It's so much easier when persecution comes to get self-focused instead of loving those around us. It's much easier if we fear what someone may say to not speak to that person about their sin. If we fear someone might reject us, it's much easier to keep silent than to call them to believe in Christ. Those are the easy roads, but they're the sinful roads. But we run down them so often because we fear the hardships that may come with obedience. And so Peter calls us to not be like that and actually gives us a beautiful picture here of our willingness to embrace hardships to follow God. Look back at verse 1. There's a strange phrase here. No surprise that there's a strange phrase in Peter's writing. We've seen a lot of those recently, but look at verse 1 here. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Now here it is. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now what in the world is Peter saying if you suffered in the flesh you cease from sin. Now, first of all, he's speaking to us as believers. The whoever here is the yourselves earlier in the verse, which are back to chapter 1, verse 1, are the believers he is addressing then and now. So this is written to Christians here, and he's saying these are Christians who are suffering. Now, the context of suffering here, we just read it throughout his letter, is sufferings that come from following Christ. 
These are not your suffering because you made stupid choices. These are sufferings you're enduring because you've stepped out in faith to follow God and obey God. So he's addressing here believers who are facing hardships because they love Jesus. And he says, whoever has suffered in the flesh, whatever Christian has endured hardships because they love Jesus, they have ceased from sin. Now, what does that mean? He's not saying you've attained some type of perfection or sinlessness. So this is not about sinlessness or perfection. You've heard me say before, when you come to difficult texts in Scripture, let Scripture interpret Scripture. And the rest of Scripture is very clear for us. For example, 1 John 1.8, if anyone says we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So Scripture is clear. We are all sinners. We all struggle with sin every day. So go back to verse 1 then. Therefore, it cannot mean that if we endure sufferings because we love Jesus, we're somehow sinless. That's not what it's talking about. Rather, what it's saying is that when you willingly embrace suffering like Jesus, it shows you that sin's power has been weakened in your life. When you are willing to do the hard thing, even though it is costly to you because you know it's God's will, sin's power is being broken in your life. Now, friends, we talk about salvation. We talk often about the fact that God has already saved us from our sin. We're justified. We're forgiven. That's done. Then we talk about God is saving us from our sins now. That's our sanctification, our growth in godliness. That's our ongoing process. And we look forward to our glorification that day when we are saved from the presence of sin. This verse is about that second part of it, the sanctification, being freed from the power of sin in our lives. Friends, when we see the path before us and we see the hardship that will come from us choosing to obey God and His will, and we still, by God's grace, step into those hard situations, it is showing us that the power of sin is being broken in our lives. So when hardships come and we are armed because we've been thinking about sufferings like Christ, we can resist those easy temptations of the easy road, and we can walk into suffering joyfully, trusting in God. And when we do that, it's showing our sanctification is at work by God's grace. I love how the ESV Study Bible describes it. It simply said, when believers are willing to suffer, the nerve center of sin is severed in their lives. When believers are willing to suffer, the nerve center of sin is severed in our lives. When we are willing to suffer and endure hardships because we're following Jesus, it shows, it is a testimony of God's transforming grace at work in you. The more we arm ourselves to think about sufferings the way Christ did, when those hardships come, we can step into them joyfully like Christ, trusting the sovereignty of God. And as we do so, sin's power and grip over us has been weakened. In other words, friends, if you want to know, am I really getting sanctified? Am I really growing? It goes back to how much are you willing to endure hardships to obey God? If you want a test of your sanctification, how much are you willing to step into hardships because you want to obey God. Let's bring all that back together. Here's, if you want a summary of these two verses, this is, I think, the summary of verses one and two. To live according to God's will requires us to embrace Jesus's perspective on suffering. Friends, we say we want to obey the will of God. Everyone's all captivated. What's God's will for my life? Well, God has told us what his will is for our life here, is to live according to his perfect will. And if we want to do that, friends, we're going to have to arm ourselves to embrace Jesus's perspective on suffering. Friends, do we want God's will so much that we're willing to choose the harder road in order to obey Him? To live according to God's will requires us to embrace Jesus' perspective on suffering. Friends, that perspective on suffering comes from trusting in the goodness of God, trusting that God's going to grow us in those sufferings, trusting that God's going to use our sufferings to draw other people to Himself, that God's going to glorify Himself in our sufferings. And if we want to arm ourselves in this way of thinking, we've got to know Jesus' perspective. 
So we run back to the scriptures. We have to think about Jesus' perspective. So we have to slow down and meditate on the scriptures and pray about them and reflect on them and stop the busyness of life. And friends, ultimately, we have to seek God's grace for it. You nor I can manufacture a heart that rejoices in sufferings like this. You and I cannot manufacture a perspective on suffering like this. So we cry out for God's grace as we read his word to shape our thinking so that we think more like Christ. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. In light of all that, I want to ask our first question again. What is most important to you, obeying God or avoiding hardships? Think about the last week, the last month, the last year of your life. What is the most important thing to you? Is it avoiding hardships and trying to find ease, or is it obeying God regardless of the cost? Friends, let's be a people who ask God this week to give us much grace to know him, to trust him and his plans, and to embrace whatever he gives us, knowing that his will is always best. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, your unchanging word. Lord, we thank you that you tell us what to expect in life. You've warned us about sufferings and hardships so that we're not surprised by them. And Lord, though we do not like it, Lord, we are thankful that you have given us this truth that we might live for you. And Lord, I know in my own heart and I suspect in the heart of these brothers and sisters that, Lord, we don't really like hearing these things. We don't enjoy these things, but we know they're good for us. And Lord, you know the selfishness is deep within each of our hearts. Lord, you know that how quickly we want to run the easy road instead of the road that you have given to us. And so, Lord, we ask for much, much grace this week, that you'd be conforming our minds so that we think more like Christ. Lord, our thoughts are so selfish and so worldly at times. Would you forgive us for the way we embrace those worldly thoughts? Would you forgive us for when we so easily give in to the passions of the flesh? And Lord, would you be transforming us this week? We ask that the same powerful grace that saved us would be transforming us this week to give us the mind of Christ. So that whatever you give us this week in your good sovereign plan, Lord, we would be able to walk into it with joy, knowing that you are on your throne, that you are reigning and you are working good in the midst of it all. So Lord, would you give us a perspective on life that's so countercultural like this, that we might bring honor and glory to you and find joy as we walk whatever journey you've given to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand up and sing our closing song, Be Thou My Vision, and let this be our prayer, asking God to do this in our lives this week. Together, be that my vision.
pray for us. We've just sung some incredible prayers to the Lord. So I want you to take a minute where you're standing and just reflect on that. And whatever it is that stood out to you that you need to ask God to do in your life, would you ask him to do it this week? We've sung about him being our delight. And perhaps for you, this is the week you say, Lord, I delighted so much beside you. Help me delight in you this week. Or my soul is satisfied in you. Lord, it's really not. I'm not even hungry. Lord, help me with that. Or as we sing, whatever befall, maybe we're having trouble trusting our sufferings and trials to him. Whatever it is, that you were just singing about. Pray that back to the Lord now and give it to him for this week.
Lord, this morning we have declared some incredible truths about how great you are, declared your sovereignty and your power as we've sung back to you in praises. Lord, now we've ended today with this prayer to you, asking you to be our vision, to be our delight so that our soul is satisfied. Lord, we cannot create that type of hunger for you. Lord, you have to give it to us. So, Lord, we cry out as a needy, desperate people. Lord, there's nothing we can do to have what we just ask. Please, Lord, give us a hunger for you this week. Please give our hearts a greater delight in you this week. Give us a longing for your word, a longing for prayer, a longing to be in Christian community this week and stir our hearts for these things this week. Lord, I do pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters that, Lord, that this week, no matter whatever comes, so we just say whatever befalls, Lord, that we would be able to delight in you in the ups and the downs and the good and the bad. We'd be able to trust you no matter what comes this week. Lord, that ultimately we'd be able to have the same perspective Christ had on the hardships of this life. And trusting our souls to you, our faithful Father, who is sovereign over all things and who is great and power and who is working all things in such a way that we will find good and you will receive great glory. So Lord, would you just, we humbly ask you to increase our trust, delight, joy, and hope in you this week. You have your way in our midst to make us a people you desire for us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.